welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we talk about Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. Except it's not The Wise Man's Fear that we're talking about. It's our letters today. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And welcome back to yet another interstitial episode while we are on our hiatus, working through our backlog of lovely listener mail. Uh, I gotta say, it is really amazing to me constantly that we get so much mail. Uh, it's just a delight and a joy to know that we have this community of listeners and we're all experiencing this book together. Here, here. And uh, speaking of, here's a letter from our longtime uh, listener, Curtis, on nobility, the class system, and very much not so not virtue. Insert stereotypically British salutations here. So I'm going to say, cheerio, pip, pip, hey, what? This is a topic which keeps coming up, so I thought that I would address it. On page 290, not all dukes in the United Kingdom are royal. But it is traditional for the most senior royals who are not the regent to be granted dukedoms at certain important moments in their lives. Uh, so that explains, you know, why Prince Charles is the Duke of whatever he's the Duke of. Um, page 437. While we do not know inheritance rules for the mayorship or crown of Ventus, no European noble heredity system of which I know functions the way in which you describe, even supposing that Quoth were identified as a lackless and adopted into only Melowin's family as her heir. It is typically the case that, if possible, a title or rank devolves to the most senior member of the same house. In a patriarchal society, that implies an unbroken chain of fathers from the heir to the most recent common ancestor whom they share with the previous title holder. If that is not possible, then it sometimes flows through a female line, but that daughter will still have been of descent, usually by blood, but I suppose the adoption is also a hypothetical option from the family of the previous title holder. The title does not transfer across a marriage, and especially to other members of the spouse's family. The spouse is either basically discarded or is treated as a dowager. In the latter case, which usually comes about when political continuity is desired, or particularly if the new title holder is a descendant of the dowager, they hold an elevated title or rank in recognition of their previous marriage, but they rarely hold the title itself. The dowager role also tends to be more ceremonial. Of course, things are always more complicated in real life and history, and dowagers not infrequently attempt to rule directly or via a custodial rule derived from their descendants' rights. Moreover, their force of personality really may be sufficient for them to accumulate political power in their own right. So things such as what you are suggesting are possible. But to then have a nephew who is unrelated to the previous title-holding family inherit from a dowager would undoubtedly be considered a usurpation. I do not think Quoth has the political capital in Severin for this to happen, even if he were revealed to be a lackless. I hope you take this in good stride. I enjoy your crackpottery, but I want to have it some grounding and thus a chance to be correct. We must focus our tinfoiling energies appropriately. Cheers, Curtis. Curtis, I couldn't agree more. I thank you for providing some well, for some much needed uh, common sense and historical grounding in these uncertain times when people propose somehow that Quoth is going to end up inheriting the mayorship or the lackless lands or something, which is, as we all know, preposterous. I mean, yeah, but it's it's fun to dream, Jeremy. Don't ruin, <laughs> don't ruin uh, a nice thing. This podcast might as well be subtitled "Jeremy Ruins Jordana's Dreams." Actually, no. I think the correct subtitle would be "Jeremy Ruins." Nick's dreams, and sometimes Jordana's sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you can draw your own conclusions. Uh, thanks very much for writing, Curtis. As always, a pleasure. 
Uh, we have another letter from AS on possessiveness. Dear Nikki and the JJ crew. Oh, I love it. <laughs> on page 491, Dennis says to Quoth, you are mine and mine alone. You briefly touched on the sexism aspect of this, that it's sexist if a man says this to a woman, but not the other way around. Then Jeremy asserted that whether or not such a statement is okay is context-dependent, different for each individual or relationship. While I agree that there is some context-dependence, I think the okayness of possessiveness is overwhelmingly based on the genders of the people involved, at least in fiction. And I think the reason for this is that when we see a woman tell a man, you are mine, we don't think there's any danger of the woman behaving possessively to the point where the man is denied agency. When Dennis is to quote, you are mine, we know subconsciously that it is flirtatious and sexy precisely because we can't imagine her actually owning Quoth or dictating what he does with his life. But if Quoth said the same thing to Denna, we wouldn't like it because there's historical precedent for men literally owning women, and so it sounds bad. And it reminds me of how women doing violence to men is often played for laughs on screen, but men doing violence to women is horrifying because the woman could never actually hurt the man. I hope you're enjoying your break and looking forward to hearing from you soon after. Verisimilitudinously yours, AS. Very good points all around. I don't remember what I thought on the episode that they're referencing, but... I agree with AS. <laughs> I think I do too, in the sense that I think that when I said that things are dependent on context, I think the context, the context of how we understand gender relationships is part of the context in which we understand the phrase, right? So like, I, I don't, I guess where I take issue with this letter is I don't agree that it is overwhelmingly based on the genders of the people involved, because I think that there are other factors of context at play. Because it's not just about the gender, it's about like what kind of power relations those genders have uh, in the society that we're talking about and what they've had historically, right? Like there are other context factors, including the context of how gender plays out that are important. But what we know about this world gives us the context that it is still more likely in the world of Tamarant based on what we already know about it yes but we're also bringing a lot of our real world assumptions into what we assume the context is because tamarant looks a lot like you know pre-modern europe we and because of uh, like things we know about the world of tamarant we can we kind of put together that they have a sim a similar gender politic to pre-modern europe in which women were treated as the property of their fathers or their husbands but First of all, we don't actually know that that's true. And we don't know what other historical factors might also be true. I don't know. I think that it. I'm just resistant to any kind of reduction or, or um, flattening of the potential complexity of the, the context inherent in a loaded phrase like that. Like, I think that the general point that it would feel ickier coming from Quoth is kind of true but I don't know if I fully agree with the reasoning behind the conclusion that AS has come to. Well, I have, okay. So I have things for, for both sides of this um, on, on the AS side, I would, I would bring up that we know things about this culture. Like for example, when someone has a last name, like for instance, Quoth, he references being Arladen's son, not what's his mom's name again. I, I just draw a blank. <laughs> 
say this is this is why this is bad. Anyway, his last name comes from his father. Yeah, he doesn't say I'm he doesn't say I'm my mom's son. He says that's my dad's son. That's true. Yes. So we know that that's happening. We also we have seen violence in this book from a man towards a woman, but not the other way around. Right, until we get to the ADEM and we see a whole society of like ninja women. Yes, but we know that that society also is different than the society that Quoth is used to. Yes. So there's already a separation there. However, on your side, I would agree that in, like, for example, in a book like, now I have not read The Wheel of Time, however, it was, it, it was sold to me by my husband as, in this book, only women can be magical, except for this one guy. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's so cool. And in that book, a woman saying something possessive would be more threatening. So I agree that context matters. But in this book, based on what we already know about it, I tend to agree with AS. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm just always resistant to assigning any one explanation for anything. Uh, when I usually think that there's many explanations for most things. Yes, and if there was a different explanation for this that presented itself, I would I would happily turn around and say, okay, that. Right, but there, but what I'm saying is like they're not mutually exclusive. Oh. Like there can be many explanations that are all correct. Okay, reasonable. Thanks very much for that letter. On to another one from our friend Magical John on swords and the Adem. John writes, "Fussies, how are you now?" I've been reading ahead while you're taking your well-earned break. Feel free to hold this back until it comes up in the text. No. <laughs> we refuse. <laughs> when Quoth receives Cicere from the Adem, he promises, I will make arrangements for my sword to be returned to Hert if I am killed. In chapter 128 of The Wise Man's Fear. In the frame, we have not seen Caesura. It could be that it's being kept safe, but that does not seem to be of the Lathani. It is a tool. I carry it constantly. How is using it improper? You respect the thing by putting it to good use, uh, says Vachet. I posit that Quoth has returned Caesura as if he had died. This would help him sell the lie of his death. It wouldn't be good for one of the Adam to come looking for Caesare at the news of Quoth's death. Magically, John. Yeah, that seems correct to me. And also... Like, if a tool is meant to be used and Quoth has given up the life of adventure and combat, then the tool is not being used. It's useless to him. So it would be of the Lathani to make sure that it is being put to good use by somebody. Yep. I I am sold on that. If that turns out to be true, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I have no qualms with this. I'm banging the gavel. Two out of two hosts agree. Uh, it's canon now. <laughs> and if Nick disagrees, well, too bad. That's right. If he wanted to disagree, he should have been here. Finally, we have a letter from our friend Daniel, uh, the devil and Daniel even, uh, writing on Wayback Playback, page 340 and merch. Hi, pagers. I hope this email finds you well. I understand you're taking a brief hiatus and hope you return soon. As mentioned in a previous email, I'm in the process of catching up on the many episodes recorded pre-Spotify and wanted to write in following a discussion re-page 340. In this episode, you discuss Alder Wynn, and specifically how Elodin brought Thunder. I expect this has probably been discussed by you or other fans since this episode, but just in case, I want to provide my two cents. 
you surmise that Elodin has brought thunder in the sense that he has brought noise. But I think when he says, next time don't bring thunder, Alderwind is referring to Kvothe, whose name, Maedra, we know means flame, thunder, broken tree. To me, it seemed obvious that Alderwind was referring to Kvothe, but would love to know your thoughts. Uh, so this letter is long, so I'm going to bring it up, uh, like bring bring them up paragraph by paragraph. I I think that we did discuss this very idea. I think another eagle-eared listener brought this up, and we all went, "Oh yeah, obviously, of course." Yeah, I'm pretty sure that occurred. I I I too seem to remember that. Building off of this point, it's tinfoil hat time. Something Uh-oh. I hadn't caught until searching for the meaning of Quoth's name to validate my theory above. I came across the section in Wise Man's Fear when Quoth reads the children's story about the signs of the Chandrian, and here's what it says. But children's stories are not rich in detail, and what few details I found were obviously fanciful. Where did the Chandrian live? In the clouds? In dreams? In a castle made of candy? What were their signs? Thunder. The darkening of the moon. One story even mentioned rainbows. Who would write that? Why make a child terrified of rainbows? While I don't believe this to be true, I thought this section merited a call-out so Nick can incorporate it into, into a Quoth as a new Chandrian and Thunder as his sign theory. For those unable to stomach this theory, you might say, but the book Quoth read in the library was written before he would have become a Chandrian. Well, insert Jordanic reminder, Quoth is an unreliable narrator here. Again, I don't actually believe Quoth is a new Chandrian, but it's fun to think about, especially knowing it will probably make Nick grin and Jeremy cringe. Also, a big thank you to Jordana for the merch. I just received my order from Threadless and love both the Alignment Chart Baseball Tee and the Cafea print. Both are excellent, and I highly recommend others go online and order your merch. I've shared the website with some like-minded friends and family and expect more orders to come your way soon. Thanks again for the wonderful podcast and Kingkiller Chronicle merch. Stay safe and be well, the devil and Daniel. Well, Daniel, uh, listeners, you heard it straight from the devil's mouth, and who is more reliable than the devil? You should go to our merch store and spend at least a hundred dollars. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, yeah. I, I mean, I don't actually. I humbly do not expect that of anyone. However, please do. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll never find such high quality merchant items as the ones sold in our fine emporium of goods. Also, there are some fun things coming for the merch store because this time last year. For our Patreon, we actually released, I think it was like nine designs that were all based on like Temerant alcohol. And uh, since it has been a year since we released them on Patreon, we are now releasing them to you, the public. And they will be headed to the store very shortly. So you can get some Temerant alcohol shirts, which I feel like should be pretty entertaining. But we give them back to you, people. So, as for the tinfoil crackpot theory, I mean, look, if you're going to comb through this book, like our co-host, and point out every instance of a word, a common noun, and go, aha, you see how this ties into this theory about this thing? That is a good way to drive yourself barking mad. Uh, So here's one where I'm like, I think that it's bollocks. You, Daniel, also think that it's bollocks. But if it does turn out to be true, you could be absolutely guaranteed that Nick will point to his Pepe Silvia blackboard and crow, I told you, I told you. You're not wrong. Well, what do you think, Jordana? Do you think that Quoth is the thunder sign that foretells the coming of the Chandrian? I... Uh, 
okay, no, but I wouldn't mind if it was true. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not sold on this idea, but if it did happen to be true and that I am wrong, that's fine. I just have trouble seeing it. You're far too trusting. <laughs> you know, this is another one where it's going to, this is a wait and see one from us listeners. Although I'm sure when Nick comes back, he will be hopping from foot to foot to tell us how many other dots of connected to red string uh, this applies to. Uh, well, I think that we're going to leave it there for now because we have 69 unread emails in oh, wow. our box, which is a nice uh, odd number. We will return to take another bite out of the mailbag on another page. Of the Win. Win.